Hello and welcome to another Growth Masters Federal podcast. Growth Masters Federal is a nationwide community of growth-oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams, and the professionals who support them. The purpose is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on planning and executing the most effective growth strategies in the complex, highly regulated, but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. Your host is Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and prosper in the federal marketplace by developing and executing data-driven, customized business development playbooks. Today's discussion is on how to evaluate and hire the right people for federal business development positions. Shirley's guest today is Debbie Zions, whose company, Watchwood Consulting, helps companies build successful teams by ensuring the right people are in the right jobs at the right time. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Shirley, and welcome to this bonus interview with Debbie Zients, president of Watchwood Consulting. Debbie is an executive and leadership coach and certified by Target Training International to use DISC and other assessments in her consulting practice. I asked Debbie to join us to help us understand how we might find the right people to perform federal business development jobs and how we can help them work better as a team. Welcome, Debbie. Thanks so much, Shirley. Happy to be here. So, Debbie, to begin, tell us how assessments can help with determining the right fit for the federal business development jobs that we've been discussing in this session. Well, first, I hope that uh, your clients have a recruiting process that will allow you to meet a variety of candidates that could fill these roles. Resumes, interviews, references are all part of that process, but there are assessment tools available that can help you determine the preferred workplace behaviors and motivators for a candidate or incumbent. You can also assess emotional intelligence, competencies, and capacity to make decisions regarding people, tasks, and processes. I've found these assessments to be very useful in my practice advising business owners. Especially if you're a small business, a hiring mistake can be very costly. Oh, yes. Statistics are that the cost to the company of a bad hire is anywhere from two to four times the annual salary of the hire. Wow. I know, it's a lot. Any ability or tool that could increase the likelihood of a good hire is well worth considering. I want to emphasize that the tools I'll be talking about today are scientifically validated And the company that I work with has delivered 30 million assessments worldwide in the last 20 years or so. We have a rich database of results and reevaluate the norms every two years. Based on my work over the last 11 years working with business owners, I'm very confident that these tools should be used for hiring, team building, and professional development. Another important item to note is that you should use someone to help you interpret these assessments. The interpretation of the results is a key, and I advise you to work with someone who's been certified and has a deep knowledge of the pluses and minuses of the assessments. So tell me about this DISC assessment. The DISC assessment is discussed frequently. It's a well-known assessment, and it's based on the work and research done in the 20s by a psychologist named Dr. William Marston. 
He is probably most famous as the creator of Wonder Woman. Oh, really? <laughs> and the lie detector test. Okay. Um, so DISC assesses observable workplace behavior. The D stands for dominance. I stands for influence. S stands for steadiness. And C stands for compliance. Each of us exhibits these behaviors and these characteristics in our daily workplace. And each of us has preferences for how we like to work, which then translates into behavior. So can you give me an example of what you mean? Sure. Some, someone who is most likely to be successful in a customer service role most often enjoys working with people rather than data numbers, is patient, wants to help others, and is happy to be a team player. At the opposite end of that spectrum, a successful tax accountant is someone who prefers to work with data and numbers, enjoys understanding and solving highly technical tax problems, and is very concerned about the right answer. I'm glad someone wants to do that. (laughs) You and me both. In both of those situations, the employees have job responsibilities that overlap. Each has to serve a customer. Each has to solve problems and communicate the facts and resolution to others. But their preferences for the type of work they do are different. So finding the match between what people like to do, what really gets their juices flowing, and what they're paid to do is kind of the secret sauce. Ah. So the D, the dominance, measures how you respond to problems and challenges. Many entrepreneurs have a high D score, surely. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> They're seen as risk takers, quick to make decisions, sometimes without gathering sufficient data, sometimes seen as overconfident and brash. Uh-huh. I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> a low D score might indicate someone who has a certain mistrust of rash decisions and judgments, someone who needs time and data to make good decisions, and is pretty unemotional about the outcomes. The I, influence, measures how you persuade others to your point of view. High I scores are those people who persuade with words, often labeled charismatic. Those with low I scores generally persuade with data and not words. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So tell me about the desired traits of some of the BD roles that we've been discussing. Great. Well, salespeople very often have a high I score because you know they like to talk. Yes, they do. (laughs) Um, And they're in a persuasive role and they use words to persuade. A marketing communications role would also likely have a fairly high I score as they generally use words as a mean to communicate and persuade. The S, steadiness, is about how you like to pace your work. So do you prefer to work on many projects at one time, you know, the proverbial spinning plates, or do you prefer to work one project to completion before starting another? High S scores indicate someone who is patient, methodical, and often a great supporting player. So the market intelligence analyst could have a high S score, 
as they are team players and look for methods to make the team successful. Low S scores indicate someone who has to be involved in everything and would not want to be overlooked. Finally, the C score indicates how you comply with rules and restrictions set by others. A high C score indicates that you want to comply with the rules, such as the tax accountant mentioned before. Thank goodness, that's a great thing. Yes, it is. A proposal manager should have a significant C score as they have to assure that all proposals comply with the multitude of requirements needed for a successful government submission. Yep. The person with the low C breaks all the rules and then tries to sell you on why they don't matter. Rules are for others, not them. In the world of government contracting, however, there are lots of rules. It's important for people to know when and how they have to follow them. So are these hard and fast rules so people only exhibit behavior in one category? Oh, no, that would, be, that would make it so easy, surely, to assess people, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yes. But no, all people exhibit all behaviors at one time or another as situations arise and circumstances dictate. However, we all have preferences. And when we're under pressure or in unfamiliar territory, we default to our preferred behavioral style. If you know the characteristics of the workplace behaviors that will make a potential employee most successful, you can use the DISC assessment to help you match the candidates or incumbents with those behaviors. We call that benchmarking. It's important to note that using this assessment is only one tool to be used as we look for talent that will best perform in a role. DISC does not measure intelligence, market knowledge, technical skill, education, or values. All those qualities have to be assessed through interviews, background checks, skills testing, and other means. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So are there other assessments that can be used to determine motivation, for example? We have another assessment called driving forces. So DISC measures the how of workplace behavior. Driving forces assesses the why. So we're trying to understand the motivation of the employee. What are those things that drive their interests and performance at work and at home? We measure this across several dimensions. One is called theoretical, and that's the drive for knowledge. Utilitarian, the drive for return on investment of time and energy. BD people have a very high utilitarian use, usually. Yes, that makes sense. Aesthetic, the drive for harmony in work and surroundings. Social, the drive to help others. That doesn't mean they're a social worker. It just means they'd like to help others. Mm -hmm. Individualistic is the drive to be the master of one's own destiny, like entrepreneurs. And traditional, the drive for a structure of living. So that sounds great. What does it mean? So each of these dimensions is measured on a 100-point scale. Let's say you have a job that requires someone to do in-depth research in order to gather data for reports, such as the market intelligent analyst position we talked about. The best person for that job would have a higher theoretical score 
because they truly enjoy learning just for the sake of learning. And they would likely go above and beyond in getting the required information. Someone with a low theoretical could do the work, but probably wouldn't enjoy it and may not go above and beyond because learning new things is not a motivating factor for them. Oh, I see. We talked about how BD people generally have a higher utilitarian score as they're motivated by receiving a return on their time and investment. And they're often paid with commissions. Mm-hmm. So they're motivated by yeah. that. And the proposal manager may exhibit a more traditional motivator. They're interested in following an established structure. Another interesting motivator is commanding. Those with a high score want to be in charge and want to be seen as in charge. I know that type. (laughs) (laughs) If they're on a team, they better be the leader or they'll make everyone else miserable. They're not great team players. Those with lower commanding scores are more likely to be collaborative and want to do things for the common good and not just for themselves. So we're talking about two different reports. Um, How are they used? uh, Separately or are they combined? You can use them separately, but I generally combine these two reports together because by combining them, you get a more clear picture of what the behaviors and motivators are for employees, potential new employees, and team interactions. Mm -hmm. And the great thing is that both assessments in total take only 15 minutes online, and the results are well worth that time. Oh, it sounds like they would be. So what else can we learn from using the Talent Insights Assessment? I think the most important takeaway is self-knowledge about one's own communication style. In business development, learning about your customers and teaming partners' needs and wants is paramount. Yes, it is. The ability to understand and read your customer is directly related to understanding your own communication style. The elements of communication are broadly defined as words, tone of voice, pace of voice, and body language. Actual words constitute only about 7% of communication, which is really shocking when you think about it. It is. This is why email and texting can be so quickly misinterpreted. True listening involves observing all the modes of communication. Is this person excited about what they're saying? Is their voice getting louder or softer? Are they using a lot of hand gestures or not? These differences are all clues to how someone communicates. And if you can learn to note these and use them to your advantage, you will have a more positive and useful interaction. You know, this is really great for business, but what about for in our personal lives? <laughs> That's true. I mean, once you understand how you communicate, it will enable you to understand better how others communicate. And these insights help people better understand each other, whether they're colleagues, prospects, or even friends and family. (laughs) We often use the results of the assessments to help develop team building activities among diverse roles within a company. The ability for each team member to understand 
what their preferred style is, and also the preferred style of their colleagues, enables a team to work more effectively. I've observed many aha moments when colleagues say, oh, that's why she does that, <laughs> says that, means that. Yep. <laughs> it's not perfect, but building bridges among roles through honest and forthright communication can move a team to a higher level of understanding and performance. Yes, the outside salesperson is important, but not more important than the proposal manager or the marketing communications person or the market intelligence roles. They have to work together to get the best result. Sometimes team coaching, using the findings of the tools, can really accelerate results. This type of work is not a one and done activity. It takes constant reminders and accountability from all members of the team and their supervisors. You know, Debbie, I've heard a lot about EQ or emotional intelligence. Can that be measured also? Yes, it can. Sometimes people, like you just asked, why should we even be interested? And emotional intelligence. But studies have shown that those individuals with high EQ or emotional intelligence are better at listening and managing their emotions in the workplace. Five dimensions are measured in the EQ assessment. Self-awareness, which is the ability to recognize your own moods, interactions, and reactions in that moment and the effect of those on other people. The second is self-regulation. So what's your ability to manage high emotion in the moment and redirect? Three is motivation, your passion for your work beyond just for money and prestige. Social awareness is your ability to understand the social makeup of other people, not just yourself. And lastly, social regulation is a proficiency in managing relationships and building networks so why does all this matter <laughs> good question i'm still trying to understand <laughs> well we've all been in a meeting when someone just takes over and starts raising their voice and either challenging or berating another person challenging the report being presented or the way the meeting is headed and sometimes these situations become heated I would suggest that at the moment that occurs, the meeting is over. Wow. Everyone in the room is so stressed out and unable to contain the transgressor that no one is able to listen or process information any longer. I'm sure you've been in that oh, yes. situation. Yes. Research has shown that it can take up to four hours for people to get back to full productivity after they're involved in one of these situations. And it can be with a colleague, a customer, or a prospect. It's not just an internal thing. So it's, it seems so important. Can EQ be taught? <laughs> <laughs> well, one great thing to know about EQ is that in most cases, it naturally increases with age and experience. That's a good thing. Um, however, so, you know, when you have a young person that's taking the EQ assessment, it acts as a guide for accelerating the development of EQ, but it shouldn't be a disqualifier in terms of ruling out a candidate based on the results. 
one of my colleagues calls the EQ assessment the humbler. <laughs> because even if you're a superstar, your EQ can be very low. Hmm. The thing is, just learning about EQ will raise your score, unlike IQ, for example. We suggest, you know, picking two areas to improve using three of the tactics outlined in the report and then reassess in 12 to 18 months to see if awareness has helped. Mm -hmm. The nature of the business development team's work requires a really high level of EQ, both for working with each other internally but especially externally yes, with customers. Yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> so what about measuring other skills required for the job? I think one of the first things one has to do is develop a consensus about what skills are actually required in the first place. This is part of the benchmarking process. And we use an assessment called Triometrics DNA, which measures 25 competencies commonly found in the workplace based on the respondent's recognition of achievement in those areas. Most CEOs of big and small companies are well-developed in only eight or so of the 25. Wow, that's surprising. It is, actually, but they're CEOs, so it must be working for them. <laughs> it must be. <laughs> they obviously have the top eight. So the assessment helps to measure how ready the person is to perform in the areas required by the job. It can also be used as a professional development roadmap. The competencies revolve around several areas. For example, clear thinking, skills such as planning and organization, problem solving, decision making. Things such as leading yourself, personal accountability, resiliency, and goal achievement. What about leading others, diplomacy and tact, persuasion, conflict resolution? So if an employee is lacking in one of these key competencies, the company then has to decide whether they have the resources or the time to coach and train them to make up for that key competency. So, Debbie, this is very important because most of my clients are small businesses. So is that a factor? Unfortunately, it is because, as you know, in small businesses and startups, time is a crucial element. Um, and getting an employee up to speed as quickly as possible is essential. So I would suggest that, you know, there has to be a cost-benefit analysis done of the employee's value versus hiring outside resources to coach and train that person so that they are sufficiently capable in that competency. So often the lowest scores are as instructive as the highest scores. For example, personal accountability, time management, they are critical to the federal sales role mm -hmm. because those jobs are frequently highly independent and without day-to-day -day direct supervision. Yet they require that their activities and outcomes be documented, shared, and discussed with the other members of the team. Yes. As you mentioned, federal business development is a team sport, it sure right? It is. The proposal manager role needs to have well-developed planning and organizational competencies, as well as skills related to persuasion, team building, and conflict management. The market intelligence analyst 
must be detail-oriented and altruistic because their work helps others achieve results. And the marketing communications role requires communication, creativity, empathy, and teamwork skills. Their job is to pick others' brains and develop written and verbal communication that appeals to the customer, but they have to be approved by the seller. So, Debbie, you mentioned at the beginning that uh, there was an opportunity to measure a person's capacity to make decisions regarding things like people and tasks and processes. Yes, there's a very in-depth assessment that includes a measure of acumen. We call this assessment Trimetrics HD. So it includes all the other assessments that we've already discussed, DISC, driving forces or the motivators, the DNA, the skills, and then this final science called acumen capacity. I usually only recommend it for very senior exempt positions, mostly because it takes about 50 minutes to complete online, and that is sometimes a stumbling block. It's, you have to really pay attention to what you're doing to, to complete it carefully and appropriately. However, it does provide a really comprehensive look at how a person looks at their external world and how they're able to assess people, tasks, and processes, and equally importantly, how they perceive themselves, their self-image, their job role, and their clarity about their future. It sounds this would be critical for many of my CEO clients and their executive teams. So before we wrap up, Debbie, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I kind of like to go back to the beginning. We talked about how important it was for especially small companies to have a clear process for hiring. The process does not need to be complex, surely, but it has to be consistent because every position is critical. Yeah, they sure are. Also, it's important for CEOs to evaluate their team in terms of their fit for their roles. As you know, as companies grow, people don't always grow with their roles. So to use the Jim Collins language, do you have the right people in the right seats on the bus? The business development roles that you've outlined require many different characteristics to become a top performing team. Any tools that you can use to assure that you have the best folks in the business development team doing the market research, capturing opportunities, communicating with your prospects and clients, and developing those multi-million dollar contracts are worth the investment. Yes, they are. And there are many types of assessments in the marketplace. Just make sure that you are working with someone or a company that keeps up with validation studies and is continually updating their norms. Thank you so much, Debbie, for your insights today. This has been very illuminating. Folks, if you want to learn more about this process that we have been discussing, Debbie can be reached at 410-746-0002. Her email address is debbie at watchwoodconsulting.com. Web address is watchwoodconsulting.com, and you can also find Debbie on LinkedIn. This information will also be posted on this session's webpage. And if all that fails, you can email me, and I will make sure that you are connected. Thank you, Shirley. 
Thank you for joining us today. For more information on how to grow your business in the federal marketplace, visit our website at scaletomarket.com. That's scale2market.com. And subscribe to the Growth Masters Federal channel on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Join us again soon and have a great day.